folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. So, after 105 episodes and over 500 films covered, Vin Daly has reviewed dozens of spooky, scary, and horrifying films. And some of those scary movies turned out to be horrifyingly bad. So with Halloween right around the corner, Vince and I went through our spooky films and handpicked five movies we thought would be good to highlight once again. Now, some of these are obvious picks, but some are lesser known and might surprise you. And these films aren't the only good horror films we covered, but they're all pretty heavy hitters as far as we're concerned, and we wanted to go back and shine a light on them. Our first film we'll take a look at goes back to just our eighth episode. And it's a classic. It's 1999's The Blair Witch Project. We'll then cover Dawn of the Dead from our zombie special, Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell, then do It Follows with a killer soundtrack from Disasterpiece. And finally, we'll end on a 2023 film that was quite a nice surprise on our 80th episode. It's Evil Dead Rise, directed by Lee Cronin. Now, Vin Daly and Old Two Shoes here are wishing you an awesome and spooky Halloween weekend, and maybe set the mood a little bit and give one of these great films a watch. So folks, sit back and enjoy this Halloween collection. Let's go with that The Blair Witch Project, which it's oh, a name that pretty much everybody knows. I it isn't it, isn't it? I am so excited to talk about this movie. Oh, fantastic. The Blair Witch Project, uh, obviously the early internet phenomenon, the early I guess you would call it pre-web 2.0. It's, yeah, very uh, interesting. It is kind of like uh, groundbreaking is kind of a big word. But I think trendsetter, that's fair. Let's just trendsetter. Certainly. Uh, and you can say trendsetter for sure with what it spawned as far as the found footage genre yeah. mm-hmm. uh, in film. Um, I am so happy to say that. And I, I feel like you there's, there's not many things, especially in looking at film as a as a creative medium that you can say, ah, first one's the best. You know, that, that, that's, that's the pinnacle there. And I think, especially with you the lows... That, you think that's rare? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Because I think, I, I, on the shoulder of giants, everything can be, you know, uh, improvised on and refined. Tweaked and, and everything. Exactly. There's, there's obviously the passage of time that kind of creates a more modern take on certain things. And when it comes to found footage as a genre man are those some bad movies you look at paranormal activity you look at um super 8 mm, yeah a little bit of that footage style kind of yeah yeah but either way found footage as a as as a film category are really bad films in there really gimmicky not at all uh, anything that i would classify as in the masterpiece category or in in you know a, a must watch uh, so it makes me so happy to revisit a film like this not only experience what i love in revisiting films to see the trends start to see the yeah. um uh, the the habits or 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 the styling start and when was the last time you would say you watched this um, like, what was the gap hmm, good question Good question. Maybe like a 2006 or something. Okay, like so, that. so you've you you're really looking at this at fresh eyes. A little oh, bit too. absolutely. Yeah. That's, absolutely. That's, that's awesome. And I think uh, 
what what is so refreshing about it is that that my watching it today i mean we we just talked about it uh watching in present day you know there's no point in going back in a time capsule and trying to experiencing this and probably it, no better example is this film because this film was in a bubble of how it was experienced, whether it was real or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, obviously, all fake, but that's okay. I, I think, if anything, it's it's a shame to try to look at this film and constantly question in your head, is it real, is it not? It distracts what the film is about, and the movie is about madness. The movie is... Obviously, you know, if you're completely in the dark for uh, the Blair Witch Project, this is following a group of filmmakers, student filmmakers, trying to make a very real, very documentary style approach to what is a local legend of the Blair Witch. Early on in the film, there is a lot of conflicting information presented for the audience of what the town people think is the Blair Witch, what are stories that happen throughout the town as a result of this madness. Uh, And we follow that uh, in the process of them trying to make the film. Uh, So the film is found footage about making a film. And... Man, it is such a great movie about going crazy in the woods. And I think the key (laughs) to that is that it's presented in this found footage style that any audience member can very much place themselves in the archetype of these three characters on screen and how they would react to that situation and almost go through, you know, the seven stages of grief with these characters, uh, which is so awesome to see on film i thought it and was- feel because it sounds relatable it's if, if they're that relatable to it that means it sounds like the acting for these kids are pretty good yes uh i, I think uh the acting is definitely a highlight because it is very off the cuff uh i think there's even some awkwardness to some dialogue but it's, it's the realness ge- it's like to genuine it. exactly yeah yeah exactly cool. and i think it creates a very realistic unraveling. If I had to pinpoint why this works for the genre of horror is because center stage, you have no editing that is going to be going to be a, a a huge time jump for these characters there's never a point that we are not checking in with our characters after a few you know beyond just a few hours. So there is a very realistic unraveling to that mm, yeah uh, in basically, you know, again, going mad in the woods and trying to, you know, find something spooky, uh, find this story within the within what they're trying to film as a documentary within this, uh, the story of Blair Witch, uh, and then really just uncovering the madness that it is uh, of getting lost in the woods. And man, it was just so refreshing to, to watch in that way, without, aside, specifically aside from anything like, Oh, is this real? Did you know? Uh, was this a real story? Is this snuff or anything like that? Which w- which honestly consumed the type of criticism this film had uh, when it released At in two thousand one. Yeah, it was two thousand one, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. No. No. Ninety nine. Oh, ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Look at that. And can I just say, I love. It's an hour and twenty one minutes long. It's perfect. I, I love that. Yeah. I love that. Absolutely. Uh, and and it's it's been such a, a sticking point for me as of late. Well, yeah, so. we've been talking about time a lot, but just the fact, but when, especially when we're in the um, you know horror genre, mm-hmm. 
Gimme, gimme, snappy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, we all know what we're here for. Mm-hmm. Kind of deal. So mm-hmm. it's like, let's not drag this out. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Uh, the acting, the editing, the relationships, it keeps a continuity that I, I think, uh, once again, is a key to why this movie raises above uh, in, a horror, in, in the horror genre. Um, especially with the acting, like I said, there's... Parts that are maybe uh, a little embarrassing, a little cringy, certainly a bit annoying in some of the actual delivery of it. But again, there is a enveloping, there is a uh, investment that happens when you're watching this. And you can very much put yourself in the shoes of one of the characters or just a fourth, you know, yeah. observer along on this camping trip and along this, you know, documentary film project. But that's what really takes it above. More than anything, let's let's touch on the editing a little bit. The editing is being presented. What we're seeing is being presented from a kind of uh, behind the scenes content that uh, the filmmaker uh, character is is recording in the process of the film. What this does is it creates gaps in time. There's a little bit of a disconnect because I think classic classic problem with found footage is why is this character still filming? Uh, why why are we, you know, if it's truly like a crazy scenario, why are we actually keeping the camera on? Right. And there's a through line to that that, you know, in this madness, she's holding on to the one piece of what she has as her identity and she's a filmmaker, you know, so she's keeping the camera on even though she's, you know, everyone's going going crazy with this. It's all, there's this, it's drips of realism Absolutely. that keep you engaged in a very, which is great. It's Absolutely. just refreshing, honestly. Yeah. With the editing presented in this way, we have cuts and gaps in time, never never too long, like I, like I said just a little bit ago, uh, but it hits on what, I can safely say, especially after watching uh, as many horror movies as I have been, uh, it hits on the key point. Less info means more horror. Yeah. That is the that is the the keystone there. You see this in everything from gaps in the edit, uh, which are presented obviously in, you know, the characters turning off the cameras and then revisiting them during a time of tense tension or anything like that. But also in the most brilliant moments of when the screen is entirely black. There is a transfixing that happens that you're just listening to the audio you're watching the black screen and you know maybe especially for when this film came out you could take a look at that and say well, what is all this hype about you know what wh- i'm just watching a black screen this isn't scary once again the the immersion that happens throughout this film that those black screens those those uh, that total blackness that happens in some of these shots Brilliant. Some of the most important parts of the film. Absolutely. And again, just ties very simply into what I think probably is one of the top, uh, you know, the, the, the main cornerstones of, of, of what horror should be about is less information, let the imagination run wild. The imagination does not, uh, can't run any more wild than a black screen and just listening to audio and imagining yeah. what could be there. It's fantastic. You know? Absolutely. That's, yeah, and when it's when it's well done, because if it's not well done, that's it. You have a black screen and you're just tuned out completely. Sure, you know sure. What I mean, it could be done. This could have this could have been a you know a horrible film, really, right? Quite right. easily, but it, when done tastefully and done properly, that's it's it's the most engaged you can be in a film mm-hmm. is in those moments. So absolutely, it's, it's, it's fantastic that they do it right. Absolutely, uh, and, and bottom line, you know, the I, I think for that reason, the legacy of this film is really background noise. When it comes to 
what we're looking at and what, while an audience today might be watching this film, sure, there could be an awareness of, wow, this was that, that crazy sensation. People thought it was real. It was this guerrilla marketing that mm-hmm. was being passed around on college campuses and whatnot. All of that is background noise. And honestly, it, to consider that in watching the film today is a total distraction about what the film is about. It's not about whether it was real or fake. It's not about the type of impact it was or if it led up to uh, or if it lived up to the expectations of audiences at that time. I think it is a film that you need to understand has a very specific vision of placing you front and center in what it's like to have a project in the woods and go mad in the woods. And I think it just succeeds so, so impressively well at that. I almost feel bad uh, because uh, for original audiences, there's some distraction there. And I think maybe this film didn't get as much praise back then because it was distracted by that factor. But that is why I make such a a bullet point about it to the audience and folks at home, making sure that you come into this and seeing it like any other horror movie and really getting emerged in in the horror that is displayed on screen. Really, nothing else like it, and absolutely a must-watch. We are going to go ahead and give The Blair Witch Project an 82. Yeah, very nice. I was uh, very pleased. It was on my list, too. I, I just I didn't know where it was going to land. You knew I, you were going to like it, right? I think so. But I think when I when I saw it, obviously, as more of a kid, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, mean, I was probably enveloped in like, oh, this is this is that movie that people think is real and obviously is not real, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, sure, yeah. Uh, it's That's it, great. To, that's really great to hear. Yeah. I always love... I knew it was like, was certain you were going to give it a decent score or something yeah. like that. But again, I'm surprised again that it cracked the 80s. Very pleased with it. Um, and, uh, just to remind people, too, again, like, like when we're... Once when you're in the 80s, those are like must-watch films, kind of, you know. 100%. As soon as you crack the 80s for us, that's, that's a bit of, you know, that number means a lot to us, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, seven, Something that you should make time for. Absolutely. 70s are should-watch, 80s are kind of must-watch. Mm-hmm. Um, once we get in the 90s, that's when you're into best films ever created. All yeah. yeah, and and I'm happy that, you know, this and The Host recently as well, mm, yep. It, yep. It, horror could crack that, because I feel like horror... It's so great. Yeah. Well, there's so much made, too. Yeah. I mean, you don't realize it. A lot it. of bad. <laughs> it's a lot of bad, exactly. Yeah. Uh, very, very good. 82% for the Blair Witch Project. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right, well, let's move on with what a name that everybody knows, Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. A lot of people know it for the 2004 version, but yes. this is 1978 we're in here. Um, much longer as well. Mm-hmm. How, does, how does he return to it? How, what do we get? It's interesting. So we have a 10-year gap here in between Night of the Living Dead 68 and Dawn of the Dead 78, there's obviously a lot of iterations of what a zombie is. Uh, mm-hmm. Specifically, I believe there's a lot of Italian films that touch into zombies. Wow. Uh, a lot of a lot of Italian horror was th- flourishing at that time, okay. early 70s, late 60s. So a lot of interpretations happen there. It is amazing to see Romero come back and be like, yeah. I, I wrote I'm this. The- <laughs> this is mine. <laughs> so um, cool. refreshing to see because it's like there. There's some weird aspects to Dawn of the Dead. Uh, essentially, we have a a 30 minute in- introduction of our characters, almost very a la Billy Friedkin's style of how he makes movies. Reminded me of The Exorcist. Reminded me of Sorcerer. Uh, in the introduction of our ensemble cast in many different spots. Mm -hmm. And then we finally get into it. And 
if you don't know anything about this movie, this is what took the idea of being trapped in a place uh, and having to board up the windows and survive. And that theme of survival is taken to a very visually fun representation because they are trapped in a mall. And this is where that Mm -hmm. mall zombie comes into play. Uh, The evolution of the zombies really isn't much. The zombies are still very much walking dead. They are not fast. They are not smart. They still fear fire. You know, these tropes are still here. And Romero returning to this was, was so interesting because, honestly, I haven't watched a huge amount of his 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 films but you could definitely tell he was walking around a mall one day and he said wouldn't it be great to hel- be held up in here and say oh wait i invented zombies you know i can revisit this premise very fresh very well, exciting do you think it was very much so okay okay we're 10 years back i like this is my genre i created did it feel like let's step up everything we're no longer in a house let's make you know where we're stuck a bigger bigger let's sure. make the zombies more let's make them a little bit more gruesome like do you mm-hmm. think everything was just about stepping it up i don't know not in like a blockbuster way i think and i i obviously don't know i mean i haven't dived into the the real behind the scenes right we're just this. looking at it yeah. for what it is yeah um it's more so it, it feels like there is true inspiration to the idea that you can do something new with the concept right. of zombies in a new setting and have it really evolve right. the movie. The, right. The DNA is there. Yep. But we're, but we're evolving. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I would say I, I want to I want a little bit more focus on the first 30 minutes because I think it's the roughest part of the film and, and it's rough for a few reasons. The script is, I would say, probably at its worst. Uh, there's some out of left field stuff. What we're doing is we're coming into this where the world's really kind of going to shit and everyone is is panicking. That's how they land, our characters land in the mall uh, to uh, find an escape and find a place that they can bunker down. Mm-hmm. It's The script is a little bit out there for that reason and it's it's a little bit... I don't know. Uh, Brutal, I guess, uh, would be the word I want to say. It's important to note, though, because though it does introduce our our ensemble cast, our squad, basically. Yep. uh, And once again, a a a theme, a motif of zombie films is the squad of who you're bunkering down with. Maybe all walks of life. Maybe people that you would normally not band together with. You know, you're pushed together because of the survival. Yes. So it does a good job at that because they do really come from opposite ends of everything. The script is just, man, it's, uh, that first 30 minutes almost constantly, I was just saying, what? <laughs> Which I don't know if That's it's because Romero is now alone without John Russo. Uh, right, right. Once again for... But, but, but why only in the first half an hour? You know what I mean? It's like it's like what happened there. It's before we get to the mall. It's before we have a real confrontation with zombies, and it's it, it's. I, I think it definitely highlights it because once they get to the mall, that movie's magic. So, uh, <laughs> it, it really it hits in such a good way. So it's almost like it's almost like uh, George A. Romero. It's just like it's like. He is just so good when it comes to <laughs> right. sheltered zombie movies. Yeah, <laughs> and anything else he struggles with. Get him certain... behind uh, wood boards and nails, he's golden. He's, you know? <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah. But th- that really goes into my, my next point with Get Us in the Mall. It is, it is so, so great. It, it it was it was it was amazing to watch, especially in in modern day, because I feel like the mall is such a 
overplayed zombie thing. You know, it, it is. Well, uh, it is now to us. Exactly. You know, uh, there's obviously the analogy of mindless shoppers, and there's almost like a social commentary there of them being trapped in the mall. Mm-hmm. Yep. As far as the evolution of zombies, again, what is in the DNA of the monster that we're we're studying here, folks? Uh, it is. You know, you fi- you have an introduction that these zombies are coming back to a routine when they're not feeding on brains. They're falling back into maybe some semblance of who they are, and that creates a tiny bit of drama and a little bit of oh, a, interesting. a spin. You know, there there is an evolution there. It's not just the same exact zombies. The zombies are a lot more brutal now, uh, which is great. Um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's interesting. Like like the gore is stepped up and everything like that mm-hmm. as well. Correct. Which, which brings me back to the first one, Night of the Living Dead, because it's like you didn't need them to be – now that we have decades of zombie movies, mm. you know, putting yourself back then, you don't need extra added scare or creepiness to gore because mm. the audience alone has never seen something like this. Sure. So the audience is just like, oh my gosh, wait, they're not dying? You can't mm-hmm. kill them? Mm-hmm. So seeing another human come up, another human that doesn't have a lot of makeup or anything like that, it's already so scary. Right, right. And him almost recognizing that, it's like, okay, well, if we had 10 years of other people making movies, like, here we are now, like, next iteration, Romero comes back mm-hmm. in and says, okay, how do I get that same fear factor from those people? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's let's dress them up a little bit more. Absolutely. Dress them up a little bit more, amp up the volume. Volume. Of course, we have much more of a horde than was Night of the Living Dead. There's, right. a, there's a good head count in Night of the Living Dead, believe it or not. Right, but this um, you, just because you have the space of them all as well. Exactly. The, the numbers are way up, yeah. Exactly. Any returning, um, real quick, any returning cast? No, but once again, the the African-American lead is the best, most effective person. <laughs> I forget the actor's name. Oh, okay. Uh, but he, he is so effective. It kind of becomes a, a trope in even when we go into Return of the Living Dead that that, you know, constantly there are people losing their shit uh, in the panic of everything that happens. These characters, they cut it down pat. And know, that's what you want to see. There's exactly. going to be going to have hyper hysterical characters and then people that just like, mm-hmm. I'm in this situation, like with it. And of course, you always want to be that guy. Exactly. You know what I exactly. mean? And so, you, so you're so you drawn to him just visually mm-hmm. and engage with him probably most while he's on exactly. screen. It's very yeah. much the rule of cool. It's what we would all hope to be <laughs> yes. and, and have our shit together. Right, you right. Know? There, once we get in the mall, there is such genuine excitement on film. It was almost an anomaly to watch because <laughs> these aren't played as comedic. These aren't played as, I don't know, uh, the brevity or, or the lightness of the situation doesn't detract from the horror of them being trapped in the mall with a lot of zombies. It would it creates such excitement when they realize they can run around the zombies and, and outrun them. Oh, uh, when the characters are now planning how do we lock down and secure an entire mall? How do we kill all the zombies in the mall? <laughs> it was the 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 music is happy. The music is light and jovial, and it, I can't tell you. But it fit. It, it, yes, exactly. It worked so, so well. It should have been the entire film. That first 30 minutes should have been just them in the mall uh, in, wow. some more, in some way. And it works in a way that obviously later on, zombies being a naturally goofy concept, you see slowly and slowly comedy being paired with horror. And, it's, you know... It, it's uh, dangerous. It can be dangerous. Absolutely. It's dangerous territory. Absolutely. And I think more often than not, that's probably a miss. And we'll talk a little bit about the legacies of these films going forward. Yeah. But, man, there is 
a as an audience member, you have the same excitement of wow, we just found a gun store in this mall. Uh, <laughs> as the characters on screen to say, wow, like right. this is amazing. Going shopping, there's a there's a real there's a real genuine excitement to those scenes, and it was amazing to watch for that reason because it's not played off as a comedy. It's not played off to detract from the horror. It's just. An, almost like a Christmas scene and there's a natural excitement on film for that reason. That's so interesting and like you said we're so used to seeing so much comedy interwoven in our oh, zombie movies totally. now when you have Zombieland and things like mm-hmm. that we're, but it's really it, it's almost like in the roots mm-hmm. it's really comes you know that's it's interesting. Exactly there's a, maybe it relates to the freedom of it uh, you yeah. know society is collapsing there's a freedom there to is. you know what I mean yeah. I, I, there's there's a lot to unpack there, and obviously, I want to keep this very, you know, or as spoiler free as possible uh, with right. the with the film. But uh, it is it is something to watch because it's done in such a good way, and I, I can again, it does not detract or uh, distract from what is the real horror of they got a lot of zombies they're dealing with on their hands right, and right. it's a small squad you know it's a small head count so it, it's just great uh, these I, I think more than anything why I want to focus on it so much because it's a huge highlight for this film uh, of keeping a brisk and fun feeling to an otherwise really downer film uh, as okay. any zombie film would be, right? But it shows as a trope again for the evolution of what this uh, this kind of watch list is about. That comedy naturally exists in zombies. Zombies are goofy. You can run by right past them. You know they're dumb. Right. They're not strategic creatures. Right. You right. Know? It's true. Yeah. Uh, so it was uh, it was good to see because. Again, if if uh, if this is about focusing on what is the progression, what is the tropes of what a zombie is, zombie DNA, uh, once again, comedy is now being interwoven and evolving and on this and second almost generation. important. Yes, um, yes, absolutely important to the digestibleness of a yeah, film. Yeah. You know how enjoyable is it really to watch? So, yeah, and, and for that reason, Dawn is definitely a little bit sillier, and I think definitely starts to really lean more into man being the true threat, whether that's the panic within a group, whether that is outsider interaction with the plot. I think it's probably for worse because that's where I saw that trope and I said, oh, well, I know where this is going. For me, I think it falls into... A little bit more area of predictability. I know that's kind of tough to say because, of course, we're watching earlier films. We're going back. You know, we're we're intentionally trying to spot where these these trends start. I think for me, that's where the film really grows weak. It hits such a magic moment in them trying to problem solve and survive effectively within a mall, and it's such a delight to watch them on screen. Uh, build a plan of action. Yeah. It was. It, it's. It's almost a, a similar way of how a heist movie scratches that itch in your mind. But when it when it comes down to a little bit of where that plot on or that plan unravels in a bad way, and where the zombies are repeatedly introduced to be a force you cannot survive around. Um, that's where I think the film grows a little bit weaker for me. It's still very enjoyable, but I think anyone watching that. After a moment, it's gonna feel that. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're really going to feel that, uh, and and I think that's even regardless of whether you are a avid zombie watcher or not. Overall, I think this film has a little bit too much fat on it too. Uh, a lot is focused on 
the individual relationships of our main squad. I think some of it is brought home in a good way. Others is just kind of left there. Uh, and it made me wonder, is this just a, a, the message that the plot has and the movie has that, you know, no matter how special you think you are, you're not above potentially being in a, you know, in the horde, you know, mm -hmm. one of the many horde. Uh, I think that's probably a factor there in, in the message that Romero is trying to get across in this movie, much like it would be, the the analogy of the living dead being in a mall and kind of mindless consumers mm. but it, i think it it comes off a little bit too much uh, the, again what i have it marked down as is a little bit just too much fat okay could be trimmed a little bit that makes sense it is two hours and seven minutes for exactly. a zombie movie yeah and, and i think that plays right like, into that opening as yeah well. cut out 30 minutes mm. and you're right there you're you right put there. me in the mall it's great yeah it's oh man it, it really that 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 those sections of the movie are magic. Uh, there's just such a genuine excitement to it. But I think it's a landmark film. Very simply, if I had to put credence in Night of the Living Dead versus Dawn of the Dead, it's going to be tough to say which one is more integral because I think Night of the Living Dead mm -hmm. really drives home. Uh, the DNA of the zombie, but not scary zombies, where Dawn of the Dead has scary zombies, but maybe loses some of that simplicity that drives home what a zombie film is about. Very interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, I love that it's the same director, and I love that he's building on things, mm -hmm. and... Um, you know, thank God it was almost him that that brought this genre to us. I know. Who knows I what know. the zombie genre could have been had we had other directors. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, wow. Very interesting. Yeah. I think, you know, where it's golden, zombies plus mall, I, I think just very simply he was, you know, Romero was probably just walking through a mall and be like, oh, it'd be good to hold up there. And, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. That That's really an electric plot. Uh, but that's where it kind of comes aside. One last note uh, real quick uh, before we get into the ratings is this film is in licensing hell. You cannot find this on any streaming service. Uh, you will find the 2004 Zack Snyder Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, it's everywhere. Which uh, is everywhere and almost makes you think, is, this, is that the definitive way to watch the movie? I would definitely say no. We're not touching on that movie in this special uh, for a couple of reasons, but <laughs> it is extremely hard uh, to try to find this film and, and watch it. Uh, I would, I want to almost bump it in a rating because of that, because I don't like licensing problems preventing us from watching a film, especially something so much of a landmark as this. Right. It's something to note because if this is going to be a practical watching guide and you take this, you, you listen to this episode at home, folks, and you want to do the same kind of deep dive into these films and, uh, and, right. and enjoy be, it on that be, level. Be prepared. Be prepared. It's going to be pulling teeth. Probably that's a YouTube watch. Maybe that's an illegal watch, you know. Uh, or hard copy. Sure, sure. Uh, hard copy as well. Very hard to find. Uh, Very it, strange. It is. It's tough. Uh, we'll go into some of the licensing, but I felt that that was important to note because, man, uh, that nothing sucks more than, especially with increasingly digital media, uh, the option to watch something this much of a landmark taken away from a viewing yeah. audience. So, uh, but with that said. Dawn of the Dead, Mall of the Dead, <laughs> we are going to go ahead and give that a 79. Oh, a 79. Mm -hmm. well, I thought it was going to crack the 80s, definitely the way you were talking about it. I, I, I thought so for a while, so too. Just, just, just one notch just, above. Exactly. One notch above Night of the Living Dead. And if anything, I do. Re you, you hit the nail on the head. I, I do want to relay that both of those are almost just as integral to the zombie watching mm -hmm. yeah. experience. Oh, but, yeah. uh, but because that point difference is so, you know, uh, so negligible, uh, it, it's 
almost pick your poison. You know, pick pick what you want to dive into. I think both. I, I think I would pair both together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. In the end of the, yeah, at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, this is seventy nine. Still very very good, especially mm-hmm. when you're dealing with a zombie movie mm-hmm. that it's so mm-hmm. close to like yeah. You know, this this is almost all time stuff that you should be watching. Right. Right. Uh, very cool. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. But okay, so let's just keep it going here. So our third film on the list here, a movie that was not on my radar or really that I even could remember to be honest with you so this is drag me to hell <laughs> yeah 2009 directed by who was the director sam raimi sam oh, raimi of course, yes <laughs> yeah yeah this was my sam raimi slot because he's directing dr strange yes, and yes, i of course wanted to do it i could have very easily done the spider-man movies but believe me i am superhero <laughs> <Yeah>. movie out <laughs> uh the, the the ripples of the morbius episode <laughs> will haunt me for a while um but yeah i wanted to give sam raimi more of a shot with him taking on dr strange his modern films are primarily that spider-man series and when we think about that Spider-Man series, that really started the whole MCU thing off. You know, it may not be MCU proper, but definitely... I mean, it was we, huge. Yeah, and we, we talk back to that Morbius episode. I mean, the ripples of everyone wanting to do copycats of his movies uh, were, were huge. I took a stab at this one because it was right after Spider-Man 3 wrapped, so it was kind of a return to horror for him. And I didn't. The only other movie between this and Doctor Strange is uh, is Oz the Great with James Franco. Which, okay, uh, which we, we, we don't really know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is not a good. Movie. I don't think producers are all. Yeah. They, they don't need it. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, since uh, the the goofiness of Evil Dead was just not really my bag, not necessarily bad, but uh, just not my cup of tea, I was interested in him taking on straight horror, uh, even. This is not your style of, uh, you know, this this run-of-the-mill horror, as it sounds like. Drag Me to Hell sounds like a pretty generic horror movie. I gotta right. say, this really has his mark as a director. Really? Yeah, this was a very good movie. Really? Uh, I was surprised. Uh, I mean, it, again, it sounds just as about as, as generic and bland of a horror movie. And like I said, I haven't even like, heard of it. But yeah, it Justin is. Justin Long, who's mm-hmm. usually comedic. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Is in it? I mean... Yeah. Uh, and not like a, a good cast per se, but uh, wow. I'm telling you, this was this was an above average watch. Uh, the story follows Christine Brown, a very simple girl who lives a simple life. Uh, when her day job has uh, her crossing paths with an old mystic kind of gypsy woman, uh, a curse has been placed on her that basically invites a a demon to drag her to internal damnation, to drag her to hell. Okay. Uh, it's not really too, you know, too uh, complex. It definitely could sound very generic for folks at home, uh, but in that ways, it's kind of intentional. It's definitely trying to have the same campiness, definitely has the same type of simple setup to invite a lot of craziness in that we saw in the Evil Dead trilogy. Okay. People um, can go back and listen to it. We hit, we hit Sam Raimi stuff. And then that yeah. goes up really, Absolutely. really hard in some of our uh, earlier episodes, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, this movie has just so much originality to it. It is a seriously good watch. It is a solid horror movie, which I just, again, I was not expecting whatsoever. Yeah, it's, <laughs> you like, know? it's like, and it's, P- it's PG-13. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So, it's, it's snappy 139, though, which I like. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it was very snappy. I think that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was, it's it not was, messing around. It's not did not around. have fat to it, yeah. which was definitely part of my enjoyment. 
minutes. So uh, while there is little comedy in this, there's definitely still campy aspects. Uh, Raimi is writing here as well. Mm -hmm. So he is not afraid to make the setup intentionally cliche, intentionally goofy in his own way. Uh, Our character, Christine Brown, just all she wants is an assistant manager job at the bank. (laughs) You know, that's really the goals of our character. (laughs) But she's getting dragged to hell. So, you know, I mean, there's there's that that clicheness, that campiness is intentional to just let's get the audience up to speed and let's do what the movie's actually about. That's cool. So, and it's got a little bit of Sam Raimi's history with, with some horror stuff. Of, oh, of, for of sure. The funny and lighthearted. But. Absolutely. We see that a lot in goofy scares. Uh, I think if there's going to oh. be a... Uh, cornerstone is it, it's goofy scares there's not I mean this film is not afraid to get some gross out humor some gross out horror to this okay <laughs> I, I don't want to spoil it because I mean you know the shocks are part of obviously the horror yeah, and, and the enjoyment of it but the point I'm trying to get across is it breaks, breaks the, the mold. mold it is it may look like Lost in the Shuffle horror film. Why would you ever waste your time watching that? The execution couldn't be further from the truth. Uh, that's uh, how refreshing. Honestly, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very absolutely. cool. I was not. I was not expecting and it. Good, good for Sam Raimi for right. for keeping his his. You know, there's elements of him in this through right. and through. But it really sounds like he just like went at it. Yeah. and good for him. And it's cool because this is right after he wraps Spider Man. He clearly, his roots are horror. He's writing here as well. This had to be like a really fun movie for him. I think he wrote it with his brother too. Oh, yeah? Because it's Sam Raimi and Ivan Raimi. Oh, there uh, you go. There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's just so cool that he has basically kind of FU money coming off of, you know, probably one of the most successful, you know, superhero trilogies of all time. Right. Uh, right. I mean, granted, three is a is a dumpster fire, but. Uh, <laughs> but still. It's, it's, but what, still. It's what it's, it's yeah. What it's in done. In the wake of that movie. Absolutely. Yeah. He sees all the copycats being made after him, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's cool that he can return to his horror roots. Uh the scares and the horrors, though, are a huge highlight. Uh, Raimi's camera work zooms and zips and snaps around. It's just very iconic for how he portrays it. And I can't stress how much that makes a different type of scare here. You know, this movie still has jump scares, but it in the execution and in the characterization that uh, Raimi puts into his camera work yeah. and, and his scenes... It, the, the again, the end result couldn't be farther from your average 2010s horror movie, you know, twice a year kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. Jump scares are just, it is the gimmick of all gimmicks. Oh, yeah. And something that we've covered on horror movies where it's just like, you know, a lot of jump scares, this, that, and everything. Mm-hmm. But if he's doing jump scares, but and yet he's making it good, mm-hmm. I think kudos to him. It's how the jump scares are shot. Uh, it's sometimes the jump scares aren't scares. Sometimes they're mm. jump gross outs. Okay, All right. <laughs> you know what I mean. Which is, you know, it's not a dinner watch. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't don't eat the uh, don't watch this movie while you're eating per se. But uh, it, again, it was it was refreshing and has such a unique originality to it. Uh, really, really good. I gotta give. Props to this movie around these scares of just shocking me multiple times. I like jaw dropping. Really <laughs> shocking. You've seen yeah. a lot of horrors. Absolutely. And it wasn't that it was like, oh, I'm I'm scared to death of this. <laughs> right, uh, right. If anything, you know, it had some goofiness to it. But uh, really, yeah, there's just some setups. I was just like, wow. I mean. You just never would see that in in a movie today, and especially like a you know a corporate you know Hollywood uh, yeah, horror sure. movie. Cool. So, I would say the scares really once we get 
past some of this cliche aspect or this cliche setup of Christine Brown. The scares are a mile a minute. When we get this demonic force introduced, it is there is it is no holds bar. Uh, like and and that was refreshing as well because so much is padding, you know, in these horror movies. We have to pad it out so there's like oh there's a you know a little bit of a of a slow burn, slow build up until yeah and fluff you know, really in a yeah way. sure sure uh, until we have to actually confront this, but. Christine is throwing everything she can at trying to get this curse off, and the demon is throwing <laughs> everything again at pulling her to hell. I mean, it is straight up like shoving her okay, <laughs> in <all> parts. Right. <laughs> um, she has near constant hallucinations, like it is nonstop hallucinations. Wow, okay. Uh, I mean, man, the list goes on with it. And, and it was just, again, refreshing is the word here. I, I would say a big downside for me is that. For what was such a highlight to the early Raimi films was practical effects work Mm -hmm. and practical effects to the gore and whatnot. Uh, This movie is unfortunately a little bit chock full of 2009 CGI. Yeah. And 2009 CGI ain't good. No. (laughs) Coming off the Spider-Mans, maybe. (laughs) He's in Hollywood now, big time. It's true. He's he's a player at this moment. Oh, absolutely. And a big return with with Doctor Strange. That's a shame. That's a shame. Yeah. It's just... um, Hmm. How much CGI was there? But this, or was that like? Unfortunately, it's tied to a lot of the not the gross out effects, the mm-hmm. scares, the blood, and granted, a lot of it is tied to our character's hallucinations. So it doesn't necessarily need to be. She doesn't need to be like drenched with something, right? Right. Um, because it's ultimately not real, but it just doesn't look good. Unfortunately, okay. it's right. a, it is a very it took from it a bit. Unfortunate blemish on an otherwise very surprisingly good movie. Okay. So, and and I would say I have to make such a big point out of it is because again, chock full is really how you can't get away from it. Exactly. It's taking you out a little bit. Yeah. 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 That's a shame. It really is a shame. Other than that, though, like I said, this is a solid recommendation for me. If you are a horror fan that is tired of formulaic scares Mm -hmm. and. Uh, and and the modern horror landscape, give this a watch. Moreover, if you are a fan of Raimi and his roots in Evil Dead, this is a love letter practically to that type of genre, mm. and this should be a priority watch for you. We're going to go ahead and give Drag Me to Hell a 73. 73 is a great score. Yeah. And honestly, That's I mean, awesome. I had a ball with this movie. It was, it was a lot of fun. anyone into horror, because like you said, the formulaicness of it, and how much shit you have out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is kind of a breath of, uh, breath of fresh air. Big Absolutely. Time. That's Absolutely. awesome. That's actually really great. Okay, so 73 for Drag Me to Hell. Okay, so we're going to jump here to 2014. This film is called It Follows, directed by David Robert Mitchell. And what do we get here, Ben? So uh, I'll be honest, Tom. I saw Smile, and spoiler alert, I was not too big of a fan. Okay. <laughs> uh, And uh, like with all of my watching lately, it made me think of better films. Uh, And this one is going to be a short one because I love this film. Did you? Uh, And It Follows is something that I've seen multiple times. Oh, okay. So this was not your first. Okay. Yeah. I I can't say that I have a number 
I want to say maybe ballpark five, this being the fifth time okay. uh, watching it. Uh, and honestly, it really just gets a blanket recommendation. So I'm not really going to be going into too much detail here. You know, there is a stalking quality uh, in both of these films, Smile and It Follows. Uh, but as the name suggests, It Follows is built directly around that horror premise. Um, I, I don't even feel the need to summarize because it's all in the title. It Follows. <laughs> it's, it's right, right. there. You don't need, you don't need <laughs> yeah. much more. Uh, what I do want to talk about is, uh, believe it or not, one of the most prevalent aspects of this film being the soundtrack, as it is really one of my absolute favorite soundtracks. What? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I don't even remember this film ever. It, really? I, I think I, I kind of remember us talking about it a little yeah. bit. But um, I, who did the soundtrack? Uh, soundtrack is done by Disasterpiece, uh, a composer who first got ah, famous okay. in, in kind of a video game space. Uh, he did the indie game Fez, um, also Hyperlight Drifter, uh, indie game, so no problem if, you, if folks at home, you don't really recognize that even as a gamer. Uh, and it, he specializes in this retro chiptune kind of feel to his soundtracks. Okay, right up our alley. Absolutely. This is taken to such a wonderful quality, though, and, and folks, I'm not just saying this because I'm a fan of video games or a fan of retro-sounding type of soundtracks. This video game aesthetic plays directly into the theme of innocence and the loss of that innocence in this film. Characters speak of nostalgia, yet are still children's themselves. Um, the setting is a cool fictional mashup of equally 60s, 70s, 80s suburbia, and this is, you know, way before we we get the, the nostalgia-obsessed stranger things, you know, yeah, no, definitely. years later. You see, this choice of style is not just window dressing, uh, or like I said, kind of a nostalgia bait like we would see in Stranger Things. The horror is tied directly into this theming when early on it's revealed that it follows you after having sex. Um, the feeling of coming of age is then twisted into horror, and this soundtrack has a a really haunting quality to it because on the surface it sounds innocent. It sounds like a Game Boy. You started up a Game hmm. Boy almost. Okay. And how that is twisted into this, you know, terrifying horror. It is so good. Expertly yeah, that's matched cool. that's together. Cool. It's so it it is it oozing atmosphere. It's oozing style. And I think the difference between what we've talked about a lot you know, film can have style. Is it tying into the substance? And this, you know, yeah, this, this like absolutely it plays into that innocence, that loss of innocence. It's how, so brilliant. How important is that? Is the music to the film then? Like, is does it make it? I think it makes it. Okay, I think it makes it, but in 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 a way that it elevates it. It's I wouldn't necessarily call it a crutch. Okay. Uh, again, maybe you walk into this film blind. You say, "Oh, that, that was a very interesting score that that was that was composed for this film." That's where I know the uh, name. What? Hey, did bodies, bodies, bodies. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, he's, he's he's sneaking on the Google Notes, folks. He's stealing my. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Yeah, the uh, uh, I would say. Uh, to my colossal disappointment, I did not look at <laughs> the composers for Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. And act actually, after the fact, I found this out. And I was like, I have to cover It Follows because I have to give a spotlight to Disaster Piece. You know? Oh, yeah, definitely. He is such 
a awesome composer and uh, I mean it clearly you know it was not known to me in Body Spies Pies clearly it was a secret element behind my enjoyment right. of the film yeah so. no definitely and I think very realistically that could be the case here it follows having this straightforward almost even you know one note horror premise of it following you could walk into this and say, oh, that was good. Uh, I actually don't know maybe why I enjoyed it so much. And, mm-hmm. and again, the soundtrack being a secret ingredient to that success. And uh, and I think it's a, a perfect example, honestly, of where style is substance. It's not just style. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There is a difference there. Absolutely. So with this film, it's an hour and 40. Mm-hmm. So are we following a main cast member mm. or multiple? You said that once when you have sex... It mm-hmm. starts to follow, or right. whatever this is. Mm-hmm. Large cast, or are we dealing with a basically one person? Our, our, our main, our main star, Mika Moreau, I believe uh, her name is. Uh, she, we actually covered her in Watcher earlier. In oh, the okay, year. sure, yeah, um, all right. And obviously, that being her, uh, a new release for her, she, in a very kind of eighties nostalgia style, it has a friend, a group of friends, okay, a group gotcha. of yeah. not misfits exactly, but you know, the local kids of the neighborhood yeah. that are there for her. Another great small factor that you can pick up is that we never really see too many adults, specifically parents, specifically anything like that. And and again, it kind of relates into their they have this innocence. They're almost talking like the innocence is already lost. You know, they're talking about the good old days. They're, they're children. You know right. what I mean? They're, they're not. They're not even like seniors in high school or anything like that. <laughs> This whole theme of lost, uh, the innocence lost, uh, is it come kind of comes home and and it's it's and again it's in sprinklings of the theme, not seeing yeah. parents, a video gamey soundtrack. You know, all of it is just honed into a feel and a, an atmosphere to this horror. And how is the? I mean, I guess the acting is actually pretty good for these young actors. I think actors, so. Actresses. Yeah, I, especially Mika specifically. I mean, uh, she, she would have to make it. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I think I, I even mentioned it follows um, in our review of Watcher because uh, again, I. I I think she's great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there, there's there's a lot to love uh, as far as even the other uh, performances of the young actors. It's certainly not annoying, and and I think that's that's something I bring up just because it's something that I criticize so often as right, well. Sure, but yeah, uh, driving it all is uh, is this this atmosphere, uh, cinematography, the feel, the visual design, the mood, the tone. All of it is so dialed in, and I may not have enjoyed this director's other works specifically. I was his... just about to ask, what else do we get him in? Uh, so we uh, he primarily does a film called Under the Silver Lake, which oh uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, you know, reception of it is is all over the map. People call that film a masterpiece. People hate it. Uh, I was not a fan of it, but this one is truly dynamite, and uh, <laughs> for that reason, I definitely will keep always an eye on. Uh, Mika as a, as an actress, and then also um, also also him as a director yeah, as well. Cinematographer also did Under the Silver Lake, and also did Us. I guess that kind of makes sense. Us, I think, needs a rewatch. Honestly, I'm I'm, I'm curious most of all of, of Jordan Peele's, you know, of, of his movies. Yeah, going absolutely. Because it's you know, it's it's kind of one of those that that definitely needs to bake in the oven. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, put put aside uh, some time to watch this. As far as a film uh, that is for the spooky season you know i really was reflecting this week on the mood that horror puts you in mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and we'll touch on in just a moment for spot for smile how much something can just be 
devoid of atmosphere and just about scares. Uh, and I think, like I've said, probably going back even a year in episodes, when it comes to horror, it is about atmosphere. It's about immersion. And yeah, it follows absolutely. Is, is, absolutely. Yeah, it, it follows is, is truly one of the best. So put aside some time to watch it. We're going to go ahead and give It Follows an 81. Ooh, very good. One of my favorites, for sure. That's awesome. And that's funny because you were just craving it coming off a smile. Uh, yeah, uh, mainly because uh, almost identical and very simple premise. You know what I right. mean? Simple elevator pitch. And uh, boy, was was well, <laughs> was yeah. there better comparisons to make, better time. <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, Vince. Wow, that's okay. So that's It Follows with a big 81%. We'll continue here. This is Evil Dead Rise, mm-hmm. directed by Lee Cronin. And not connected to Evil Dead at all. Right. So how does this kind of, I'm assuming we have this book, people are reading the book. Yep. How do we kind of get into it? How do we like this <laughs> this, rendi- this rendition? Yeah, so uh, this was written and directed by Lee Cronin, uh, who is fairly new with only one other feature film under his belt, uh, A24's The Hole in the Ground from 2019. I've never seen it. No. Um, he also has some TV work under his name. Uh, this one had me interested, though. I'll say that the trailer was really showing me something really scary, some real scary shit. I think, I, I forget if we talked about it on the show or, or off the show, Tom, but, you know, despite 2023 being packed to the brim with horror so far, nothing has been actually scary. Mm. And I was craving something to be really scary, seeing if I could even be scared, you know? That's a good point, because a lot of what's come out is either bad Mm-hmm. Like Megan. Yeah. Uh, cool, but not necessarily scary, like Infinity Pool. Mm. Oh, absolutely. But we haven't had like our, ju- our I don't know, jump scares. We haven't had our scary, scary stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Nothing to scare the pants off you. So let me tell you, I was so happy when I saw that this was one really scary movie. Really? Oh, yeah. This was wow. a good movie. I'm coming out very pleased with Evil Dead Rise. And almost against all odds. Yeah, because like. I'm not really a fan of the franchise, you know. Sue me, but uh, it's just it yeah. doesn't work. For and no me. one was like asking for this. I don't right, think exactly, especially <laughs> after the ten-year radio silence coming off of um, you know uh, the Evil Dead 2013. Right. Yep. So wow. Uh, the Book of the Dead is found yet again, but finally the series separates itself from that played-out cabin in the woods vibe. This time, it is a condemned apartment building in our setting and. And that building being an old bank holding secrets in its vault. Uh, Set design, honestly, was fantastic. The look of this entire building was so detailed. Um, I actually meant to write down who was doing production design on this, but was really, I mean, really stand out. I feel like this building had equally a lived-in feel, kind of a cool... A hipstery vibe, if you will, but then also able to transform into a very, very terrifying place uh, once things get kicked off. Yeah, and, and it's Nick Bassett who did the art direction, mm, yeah. uh, who also did art some art direction for Castaway, for Guns, uh, Akimbo. Oh, wow. Which apparently has really cool style to it, actually. Okay, okay. And then Avatar. <laughs> Oh, it got me. Uh, That was the bear trap. (laughs) I caught myself with that. That's interesting, though, that you were taking note of just how detailed it was or how how that feel of an apartment was. That's good that it's getting the the kind of surroundings good. Absolutely. getting the surroundings well. Yeah. And and, and the script early on plants so many seeds as to why it might be difficult to leave this place. And I feel like that helped scratch the logic itch I always have and felt from previous entries in the franchise of why 
are they going to this cabin? You know, it right. is already a lived-in place. It kind of, you know, the book happens upon them and is now transforming an already difficult kind of apartment building to leave. It's dilapidated. It's condemned, mm. you know. So I, I, right off the bat, that was, a, that was a big highlight. Instead of some dumb adults <laughs> acting idiotic, uh, the script gives us a misfit family to act idiotic. Uh, has a mother, uh, her sister, and three kids. Uh, this might seem like horror 101, but when the evil starts flowing, this did wonders for the tension that it created. Uh, now when a demonic force spits out an insult as in the usual Evil Dead style, it comes from the mouth of a family member, creating much more of an emotional dilemma to see if there's any humanity left in that that possessed person hmm. kind of a zombie dilemma if you will of if they can save them if they're too far gone and i felt like that again doesn't sound too complex was doing wonders in what otherwise is in this entire franchise of people that don't really care about each other so they don't really care about each other when they start hacking up their bodies <laughs> so <laughs> that that little twist is why i think this was you know it was it was working a lot better for me uh, I really like the variety of ages in our characters as well. Having kids in the plot helped me with some of those idiocy that is needed to move horror along. I think I was much better with kids being the idiots than just, you know, fully grown adults. Yeah, it totally helps. <laughs> it's And it's easier for a kid to be a competent character yeah. because you're expecting less as well. Right, exactly. So you give it a longer Maybe leash to be Maybe they play for a trick. You know? Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's easy. You give them a longer leash to be dumb, yeah. but also when they're competent, it's like even more. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But uh, folks, there is only one performance we need to talk about, and that is Alyssa Sutherland. Uh, she comes from the show Vikings, mm. and she plays the mother Ellie here. Oh my God, this has to be one of the best horror performances I've seen in the last five years. That's she saying is, a lot. Yeah. That's saying a lot. Oh yeah. And I mean it. I, I, re- I was looking back in those five years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she is phenomenal electric i i would easily see the movie again just to see her performance wow oh yeah uh if you've seen any of the marketing for this folks you have maybe caught a glance at how terrifying she is but i can assure you she has so much more to give in this movie she's the key to i think the balancing act of how comedic elements work in this as well this is not trying to strip it from camp I would say this is a very good entry in the franchise of Evil Dead as well because mm. it balances really chaotic, vile, joking demons possessing our characters. And I feel like finally I was able to fully enjoy the entertainment side of these movies. The chaotic demons have just the right amount of fucked up jokes and no one does it better than uh, Alyssa Sutherland. She really has a perfect balance of when she needs to be absolutely bone-chilling, terrifying. Mm-hmm. She's there. And when she needs to maybe make the audience have a, a nervous laugh out of what's coming out of her mouth, it's right there as well. I think it's a phenomenal performance. Wow. That's yeah. really high praise. Oh, That's yeah. cool. That's I mean, that's great that it's coming out of this... <laughs> right. I mean, who's expecting it? Exactly. Yeah. Who is expecting it from this, you know? Once again, we are we're going around the bend with Evil Dead. You know, <laughs> Ten years later after a failed reboot. It, it, it's fantastic. So... Uh, the build-up to the horror was great. I love how we care just enough about the characters in the apartment buildings. It's not nothing, but it's just enough. We're mm. not you know, over-focusing on it. And seeing how the setup is used to truly terrorize the character and, and the audience is key. Uh, this is not a heavy jump-scare movie, 
Uh, honestly, none of these are. I wouldn't really compare Evil Dead to any kind of jump scare. Uh, rather, Which oftentimes are cheap anyway. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anything, that's what I was worried, that this was just going to be a jump scare fest. Right, yeah. You know? Rather, it earns the fear because characters are honestly just tortured with the grim truth that there is no way out of this. Uh, so when it comes to that, again, Horror 101, it's not rocket science to make me, you know, to have a character you can empathize with a little bit. But that's something that honestly I felt was missing from this entire franchise. Maybe Bruce Campbell, just because he's so, you know, he's such a character. Yeah, Bruce himself. Campbell was kind of the one element in those originals that you could at least. Uh, get on board with oh, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Because yeah. he's great. But <laughs> right. you can't put him in everything. Right. <laughs> and, you know, there needs to be a, a, a there is a better way mm-hmm. to make me care about characters rather than having this larger than life character, you know, saying hail to the king, baby, you know, and stuff right. like that. In the legacy of Sam Raimi, this film has many inventive camera angles and uh, that once again is used uh, in combination with a great set design i think my favorite was using the door peepholes as a fisheye to really distort and stretch characters for sure that's been done before to Mm -hmm. great use i mean it's not uh you know i feel like i'm repeating myself but it's really not the most amazing thing to have a fisheye's lens as a door peephole but how it was paired and how it was relaying to us that whoever was possessed in that scene is really gone. You know, mm-hmm. they're no longer human. Uh, it was just so fantastic. I was really, wow. I was in love with it. But Tom, uh, finally, and I mean finally, a great horror movie. Uh, this was better than Barbarian uh, from last year, better than every horror film to come out last year. Wow. Uh, and there are a cer- lot. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <It's> a lot. <laughs> Uh, and certainly better, uh, and certainly the best of this year so far. Folks at home, if you are a diehard Evil uh, Evil Dead fan, if you love all the camp, I'm honestly dying to know what you think of this film because I think it hits it out of the park with a perfect balance of horror and over-the-top camp easily being my favorite of the series. We're going to go ahead and give Evil Dead Rise a 79. Wow, 79% is a great score. Yeah. I'm happy for you. Oh, right. One, I want so much evil, more, yeah, no. <laughs> and it's all shit. Yeah, and Evil Dead is finally good. <laughs> right, finally. exactly. It only took a few decades to get there. <laughs> right. Um, 79% for a horror film is really good, folks. Oh, yeah. Really good. I mean, that's even territory of, like, maybe I should watch it then. Sure, Because sure. we cover a lot. There was a lot last year. Mm-hmm. A lot. We came pre-packed, like, when we launched last year, yep. we came with 20 episodes pre-packaged, mm-hmm. which was a whole other October, basically. Ooh. And so we covered right. a lot here on the podcast. Yeah. And 79 is really telling. Yeah. Um, and Barbarian, you know, surprising. what I compare it to, maybe even a Bodies, 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 Barbarian, those are good movies. I feel like this captures just a a real a horror. You know, yeah. I wasn't like closing my eyes or anything like that, but there was almost like a... An alertness. Yeah, yeah. yeah like it's... I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely, uh, definitely enthralled by this. Wow, so. and it did pretty well over the over the weekend too. Yeah, and it made twenty five million mm-hmm. for a horror for an opening weekend after against Super Mario. It's, right. it's, that's fantastic. <laughs> right. Wow, seventy nine percent Evil Dead Rise. Don't sleep on it. Also, don't worry about doing homework for all the other <laughs> right? Evil Dead. You can just watch it on. You its can own. just go ahead and watch it. Right. Go check it out. Evil Dead Rise with a seventy nine percent. And okay, folks, that's pretty much wrapping up our little Halloween collection here that Vin and I kind of curated for you. Uh, We hope you enjoyed kind of a blast from the past. And don't be afraid to give these movies a watch. Again, we kind of picked all heavy hitters here. Not the only five good films that we've done in the past because we covered so much, like I said at the beginning, dozens 
of spooky films. But this is definitely a great highlight. Great going back all the way from episode 8 to 80. Uh, we hope you all give these movies a little love. Again, Vin and I are wishing you a great Halloween, folks. And don't forget, we're going to be back next week with some much-anticipated brand-new films. So, of course, we have Martin Scorsese's Killer of the Flower Moon coming up. And then we also have a Netflix new release that's been getting a lot of buzz as well. Some big actors in that film. So, folks, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, we'll see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. Just a reminder, folks, The Daily Ratings is completely producer-supported. We want to stay away from corporate advertising and to bog down our site or to make a lesser product with the podcast. So we appreciate all of you producers out there that financially support the show. And if you're enjoying or finding value from The Daily Ratings, then you can become a producer. And just go to our website at thedailyratings.com. You go to the Donations tab. And like I said, through your monetary support, you are an official producer of The Daily Ratings. So we thank you all so much who have produced, and we hope many of you will in the future. We'll see you next week on The Daily Ratings Podcast.